0: Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the history of Yugoslav football podcast, Kucha Svica. In Belgrade sits the Museum of Yugoslavia. Originally, it was opened as a birthday present to Tito in honour of his 70th birthday. Hosting presents the leader had received up to that point including the pride of place for the relay batons from the relays of youth that took place annually around Tito's birthday and, of course, around the Yugoslav Cup final. Part of the museum complex, built in 1975, is what became known as Kucha Svica, or the House of Flowers, which was built as an area of respite and work for the leader. It took upon the name it's now known as, due to the sheer volume of flowers deposited around the building that served not only as Tito's respite during life, but also his resting place upon his death. Yes, by the time this episode is over, Tito will be forever interred at the House of Flowers and the world itself will be about to change. Our next episode will serve as a bit of a pause to take stock of the past 35 years, and set up the next ten, given that things start to change very quickly once Tito is gone in Yugoslavia. Of course, the death of Tito managed to even overshadow football. No telling of this story could be complete without going over the events of Sunday the 4th of May 1980. On that day, Hajduk were hosting Fiesta at Poljud. In the 41st minute of the game, Three men entered the field and ordered the game to be stopped. One of these was Split's mayor, who got hold of a microphone and announced to the crowd that Tito had died. Players were left in tears and gathered in the middle of the, pit- the pitch, while the Pollywood crowd sang songs in honour of their past leader. For those watching the game at home, given that the game itself was the marquee fixture of the weekend and was broadcast across the country, The screen faded to black at this point for about 30 seconds before a national news announcement came on with the newscasters of each republic within the nation announcing and confirming tito's death two other games would be called off at the same time and a nation was in shock well a nation was in shock aside from everyone in the political elite but we'll get to that because while in life it was tito's death that interrupted the football in this episode it's the football that's going to interrupt Tito's death. For one, by the time Tito passed, much of the league was a fait complete. Svěstá Heiduk was, of course, a high-profile game to have to be interrupted by the morning as at the time it was not just a battle between two rivals, it was a battle between the top two in the league, with Hyduk only two points back from their Belgrade rivals. But by the time the game was actually rearranged, 17 days later, Svěstá Still managed by Branko Stankovic, would win to go seven points clear of Hajduk and four clear of their nearest rivals at the time, FK Sarajevo. And Sviesta would eventually end up seven clear of Sarajevo, who had been fired into contention by the top scoring season of their genius, Saved Susic, with Hajduk having dropped off the place completely, finishing fifth. Sviesta would even have their input in the relegation race. They faced Osijek on the final day and Osijek would end up relegated after the game was abandoned at half-time due to the Ossiek players attacking the referee. Ossiek's violence would be a relief to another team in the relegation mix that season, Partizan, who continued their run of poor years finishing 13th. Shalik Sinicca would take the other relegation spot with OFK and NK Zagreb replacing them for the first full season of the 1980s. Ossiak, albeit we haven't mentioned them this decade, had had a fairly interesting few years culminating in this relegation in 1980 and the abandonment uh, that led to it. Their first league journey itself had originally been denied to them in 1973 after a poisoning scandal had derailed them in the playoff to reach the top flight. When it came to the Cups, Fiesta would get to the final but would be denied a double but after falling 2-1 on aggregate to Dinamo, who had had a poor season by their standards overall. However, it's fair to note that much of the backroom was in a bit of a mess due to the fallout from their title loss the season prior, with the board taking Flack for having as much of an eye on past events as they did on present. Another person departing the timeline would be Tomislav Ivic, who left Heydrich at the end of the season to take over at Antleic, which began a period of him becoming one of football's most nomadic countries, coaches even, <laughs> and this season would be his last tilt at the European Cup with Heydrich, and once more, Heydrich would have a real go at it. It began with a challenging first-round tie against Trabzonspor, with a late penalty from Boro Primerac, giving them the win at Poljud, before they repeated with a 1-0 win in Turkey to go through 2-0 on aggregate. Their reward was an easier tie against the Danish champions Vellier, as Hajduk killed the tie in the first leg, a 3-0 win away in Denmark, allowing them to take the foot off the pedal and split, as Vellier would recover with a 2-1 win uh, in Croatia, as Hajduk progressed 4-2 to reach the quarterfinals and a tie against West German champions Hamburg. Hamburg were, of course, in their golden age at this point with an exceptionally talented side, but Heidegger hung with them all the way in a dramatic tie. Reimann would score the only goal in the away leg to send Hamburg to Yugoslavia with a 1-0 advantage. It would set the scene for one of the European Cup's greatest quarter-final legs at Poljud. Hamburg would get off to the perfect start, as Horst Trubesch took advantage of a defensive mistake from a long ball to Prod home after only two minutes. Hajduk would soon be in the ascendancy, forcing good saves from distance before Zlatko would beat the offside trap and slide the ball home on 21 minutes. Parity, however, only lasted two minutes. Hajduk would be given a penalty that Primarac would see saved and Hamburg would go straight up the other end. With the ball ending up at the feet of Hieronymus, who would flick the ball over his marker at the edge of the box and slam the ball home in what surely would have been given the headline of Hieronymus Bosch by all art-loving newspaper sub-editors. After 23 minutes, Heidrup needed three goals to overcome the away goals rule. The remainder of the game would become one-way traffic as Heidrup took a team that would become European Cup runners-up this season to the very limit. They would create two more good chances in the first half before making the breakthrough early in the second. As Hamburg failed to deal with a flick on the corner and Boris Djordjevic rose unmarked at the back to head home. The momentum remained with Hajduk as chance after chance was created. Between Djordovic in the 50th minute and Primorac rising highest to head home across in the 86th, Hajduk had no fewer than seven very good chances fall their way. Hajduk won the night 3-2 but lost the tie on away goals and only had themselves to blame in what was an extraordinary game where, for the most part, they took apart one of the world's best sides. That Hamburg side, managed by Branko Sabetch and starring the former Heydruck player Ivan Bullian in defence, would eventually lose 1-0 in the final as Nottingham Forest retained their crown. In the UEFA Cup, West Germany went one further than the season prior and provided all four semi-finalists, with the other West German side in the competition, Kaiserslautern, being knocked out by Bayern Munich in the quarters. For the Yugoslav sides, Dinamo would fall 1-0 in aggregate at the first hurdle to Perugia, leaving Sviesta to fly the flag on their own. They would open with a 3-1 aggregate win over Galatasaray, with all the goals scored at the Maracaná. In the second round, it would be to East G- Germany and to face Carl Sajsina in a tie decided by a pair of 3-2 wins for Sviesta, with Savic, Muslin and Svěstic doing the honours at the Maracaná, with Filipovic, Blagojevic from 45 yards and an own goal, sealing it away. Their reward would be a trip to the west of Germany and to Bayern Munich. Bayern would secure the first leg 2-0 but much as Haiduk would push their own west German side all the way, Sviesta would do the same at the American R. Dulé Savic would put Sviesta in front early with Petrovic adding a second just before half-time, striking from distance to level the tie. Sviesta take the lead early in the second half in aggregate, as Repčić would drive low from the edge of the box before everything went wrong. In the space of four minutes, Dieter Hoeneß would score twice to firstly give Bayern the lead on away goals and then to do it outright, the first a tapping after a corner routine and the second a turn and shot from the edge of the box. Twice in European competition, West Germany's best would be taken all the way by Yugoslavias, but the sheer dominance of that nation in this season could not be shook. When it came to the Cup Winners' Cup, Rijeka would do creditably, beating Bearshot and Lokomotiva Kosice, before being knocked out by the mighty Juventus in the quarter-finals. Which leads us back to the death of Tito. We obviously mentioned that the his death wasn't really that much of a surprise to the political elite. Reports of Tito's conditions were very rarely shared in Tito's later years, and come his demise. He was already 87, which is a very decent age for a man who lived the life that he did. After the Croatian Spring and the 1974 Constitution, Tito himself had begun to wind down his roles in the actual day-to-day running of Yugoslavia, but still actively participated and travelled abroad on state trips to Beijing and the U.S. as the figurehead of the nation. But, come 1979, age started to catch up with him, suffering from circulation issues and, as a result, issues with his leg and foot. It got to the point where in early January 1980 Tito had to be hospitalized due to its severity and required an arterial bypass but the operation failed. However, Tito was stubborn at best when it came to following medical advice. He was advised that his leg needed to be amputated but refused it for a considerable time. By the time he allowed the operation to take place The resulting gangrenous infection had taken hold, and it was that that would eventually kill him on the 4th of May, three days before he would have turned 88. His funeral, four days later, was a world event. 128 of the 154 UN nations sent delegations, including the head of state of China, Hua Feng, and the Soviet leader, Leonid Brezhnev. European leaders used it as an impromptu meeting to chat about the Soviet intervention in Afghanistan, which was in itself the reason why us president jimmy carter kept away from the funeral itself only traveling for a state visit later in the year quite simply almost everyone who was anyone was there while a nation mourned publicly nothing had changed in reality everything had next time on the history of yugoslav football podcast we take a pause to look at just what was going on in Yugoslavia around the death of Tito and to have a look at what was about to happen, setting out a few key theories as to why the 1980s would go as they did before we go into those events in depth and plough headfirst into the last full decade of Yugoslavia. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next time.